again, it's great to see you all, and we're so thankful for this day of worship together. If you've got your Bibles, you can open them up to Luke chapter 4 on this Palm Sunday, as we are now in our second week of our Easter series, Beautiful Exchange. So thankful you all are here, and I hope that um, today that Jesus will speak to you as I believe he will. We're in probably, not probably, the uh, most precious week in our lives as followers of Jesus as we remember all that he has done for us in the magnificence of our King, Jesus Christ, choosing to lay down his life for you and for me. And I hope uh, his love never grows dull (laughs) to us the worth of what he has done for us. I pray that it would never pale in our hearts and in our minds, um, but that we would savor the preciousness of the gift of Jesus and his life given for us in this season. Let me pray as we start in our time in the word today. Lord, we thank you for um, this day. Thank you, God, so much for all that this day means in our lives. For Jesus, um, you came in love for us, for me. And um, it's overwhelming, Jesus, um, that you, our God, would come for us. You're not deserving, and yet you came. Your coming was the greatest gift, the greatest miracle of all. Lord, um, you're coming to redeem us back to you. And Lord Jesus, we know you came with your face set toward uh, Jerusalem. From the moment you were born, there's a sign of your death. Your whole life, you're prepared for this week. This week where you would uh, walk through the gates, you would hear the shouts of a crowd's Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes. Jesus, you, unlike most of who were there, knew what that would take to bring salvation. And Jesus, we thank you that you continue to march through the city. Our Savior, humble, mounted on a donkey, knowing that it was in that city, Lord, that you would be put to death. Completely undeserved death, but death because we deserved it. And we just thank you, Jesus, Lord, for we know um, that you are, you are blessed. You are the one who saves. And we thank you because we know all that you've done to save us. And so, Lord, I pray for every heart today that we would be touched, that we would be stirred, that we would be renewed in the joy of our salvation, that we would be wowed. Once again, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, would you grip our hearts that we we might not just go through the motions of Christianity, but that truly that we would love you, Jesus Christ. That you would stir our heart's affection for you, Jesus. Thank you. And I pray this in your name, Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 4. If you've got your Bibles, and I hope you do. If not, you can find them on the screen. Or nifty enough, you can find them on our app. Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 14. 
And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and he found the place where it is written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. And recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll. And he gave it back to the attendant and he he sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were, were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is God's word. This is our Savior, Jesus. Early in his public ministry, as word had begun to spread, we know he returned to his hometown as we began to look at last week. They were eager and anxious to hear him. They gave him the place, uh, not just as a congregate, but as one who would be the teacher of, of the Holy Scripture. He takes the scroll of Isaiah, the prophet, the one who foretold of the Messiah, the appointed one who would return God's people back to God, who would return uh, the, the blessing, the fullness, restoration, redemption of, of all that God had promised. The Messiah would be the one who would usher it in. He opens the scroll of Isaiah. He moves it to what we know as our 61st chapter of the scroll. He takes it out and he begins to read that prophecy that all of the Jewish people of that synagogue of that day and around all of Israel would have known. This is the prophecy of the one who is coming, the Messiah, the long-anticipated one, the King. And he reads it. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He reads what the Messiah would come to do to bring good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to recover sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to usher in the year of the Lord's favor, the year of Jubilee. And he just puts it down and he goes and sits. And everyone stares. What we know is that Jesus (laughs) speaks to them and says, Today... Today, this scripture, this prophecy is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, I am he. The wait is over. The Messiah has come and I stand in your midst. 
And I'm so thankful to tell you that today, here, Palm Sunday 2017, we know that God is a God who keeps his promises. He is a God who has given the Messiah and his name is Jesus Christ. And he is the one who will usher in the year of God's favor. He is the one, the long-awaited one, who can return us, God's creation, back to God. And all the things that Jesus reads in Isaiah 61, he came to fulfill. And friends, he has fulfilled every single one of them. All of these promises are now available and true because of Jesus Christ, his person and his work of atonement and his life, death, and resurrection for all who believe. Now that is good news. (laughs) It's good news for you, friends. And in these weeks, all I've told you I've wanted to do is just to highlight one aspect in in each of our gatherings together to just showcase and remind us they are simple but precious. They are old but, but the bedrock of all of our life. We should never tire of hearing of what Jesus has come to do. Last week we looked at how he brings good news to the poor and this week I want to look at that second phrase. What is it? You see there, what, is, what comes right after good news to the poor? To proclaim good news to the poor. And he has sent me to proclaim what? Freedom. Some of y'all said freedom. Some of y'all said liberty. Can we agree that that's basically the same thing? All right. Freedom for the captives. I like the word freedom because is it Braveheart? I just like that, you know? That's awesome. I almost said gladiator, but I get my movie references wrong all the time. So, whatever. Um, But y'all know what I'm talking about. Freedom! Now, even cooler, even cooler than that moment in Braveheart. Even cooler. That's a cool moment. Gives me chill bumps every time I see it. I've only seen it once. (laughs) I'm really, I'm not lying. I've only seen it once. Um... Even cooler than that moment. But you think about how epic that moment is. I mean, some of y'all are already thinking this is a lame reference. If it's lame, just don't, don't let it work for you. It's fine. But for those who it's working for you, take it, all right? Even as epic as that is, this moment where Jesus says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim freedom. And today, I'm telling you, this is not a promise you've got to wait for. This is a promise that is true because I am here. I am now. I am he. I am the Messiah. And I will bring freedom for all who are captive. Praise Jesus. What an awesome moment. What an awesome person. What an awesome God we have that our God proclaims freedom for captives. I will tell you this, that captivity and deliverance are two of the the major themes of all of the biblical narrative. If you can just write down those words, captivity and deliverance. Here's the phrase I want you to focus on all week, freedom for captives. Last week, I pray every day you were focusing on the phrase, good news to the poor and contemplating 
The richness of what Christ has done and bringing everything when you had nothing. This week, the phrase I want us to be meditating on is this one that Jesus proclaims to us in the synagogue this day that is still true, that he is one who brings freedom for captives. Captivity and deliverance, two of the major things of of Scripture. They are very important truths of the Bible. And the amazing thing is that God has always has always cared about those who are oppressed. Our God, who is alive today, who is the only true God, our God has a heart for those who are oppressed, for those who are in in captive, captivity, whether it be physical captivity. And friends, don't fool yourself. There are millions of people around the world today who are still in physical slavery. There are girls today who are being trafficked in the streets of our city. God cares about people who are physically in captivity. But he also cares about people who are emotionally in captivity. Who are mentally in captivity. And most significant, perhaps of all, those who are spiritually in captivity. Since the days of of Moses and Egypt, we just think about the cries of the captives there, the significance of that both in historically in the life of, of the people of Israel there in captivity in Egypt as their cries went up to God and he heard their cries and he acted in a miraculous, mighty, powerful way to deliver them and to free them into a land of promise, of freedom, of joy, of blessing. As Impactful as that was for real people historically, but even more significantly, the picture of that for us spiritually and what God has done for us in Christ. From the days of Moses there in Egypt to the present day, God has been, he is a God who is up to the business of delivering people out of bondage. Our God loves this work and he's really good at it. He specializes in this. He is a God who cares for the oppressed and he's a God who loves and is able to deliver people out of bondage and set them free in the land of promise. And he has done it in Jesus Christ. I got good news for you today. I know we did good news last week, but it's, an, it's, it's still good news, okay? Friends, this is good news. It's good news. What's the significance of what Jesus is saying? Well, um, see, all of us were made to live in freedom. I don't, we have this yearning in our hearts to be free, don't we? <laughs> Would you agree with that? You've got a yearning in your heart to be free. And, and, and God has placed that yearning there. We are meant to live in freedom. Now, where we go wrong, perhaps, is, is misunderstanding what our freedom is meant for. But I will tell you, if you look at the early chapters of Genesis and you see the Garden of Eden and you look at the biblical narrative, what you realize is that God did intend for us, starting with Adam and Eve, to live and enjoy, to be really, really, really happy. Do you know that God wants you to be happy? I tell you, that was this past week, y'all. 
I shouldn't say this, but I'm going to. I'm doting a little bit. I got to meet one of my spiritual heroes, John Piper. I freaked out. I don't know if you, I don't know if you ever know, have ever heard of John Piper, but I ran across him this week here in Memphis, and I just freaked out. <laughs> and I went up to him, and I was like, I love you. You're awesome. And he was like, whoa. Um, but we actually had a cool conversation, and I'm still kind of freaking out about it. I love the guy. He shepherded me in so many ways. You know, we can... There are, there are spiritual heroes in your life. He's definitely one of mine. Now, the reason I say all this is because he wrote a book called Desiring God. And if you've never read it, I really encourage you to read it. It's such a good book. It, it completely changed uh, and just helped me in so many ways. And anyway, I'll stop doting now because he's awesome. But, um, man, we were created to enjoy God. God has designed us to be happy and to be free. Yes, we're created to glorify God, but the way that we glorify God is through our enjoyment of him. The way you make anything look good is by enjoying it to its extreme, right? A relationship with Jesus is, is not just like, you know? People think about Christianity sometimes as the antithesis of freedom. But friends, it is the definition of freedom. Because it is how we were designed to live and move and have our being is in the presence and the blessing and the enjoyment of God. Like a fish is created for water, he's free. Because you ask him to stay in water doesn't mean that you're inhibiting his freedom. It's how the fish was designed to live. The fish could be most free in its natural environment. Would you agree? Taking the fish out of the water seems like punishment. Everybody agree with that? Our natural environment is God, an intimate, connected, abiding relationship with creator God. And he means for us to enjoy our environment and in our natural dwelling place to be free and happy. Isn't our God a great God? He's so great. He's so great. But the problem was, and this is the stupidity of humanity. I'm talking about myself. The stupidity of Barrett, stupidity of Adam and Eve. Sin is the most unexplainable choice. It's the dumbest choice in the world. How anyone could be given everything, a promise uh, that everything is, is available for you. Live under my control. Live obedient to me. All things given to you. Nothing good withholding. How you could choose to walk away from that is just stupid. Y'all realize that every time you sin, you're stupid. Y'all know that, right? Now, I'm not trying to call you stupid. My mama said don't do that. But sin itself, sin is stupid. It doesn't make sense. How, How Adam and Eve, from that first choice of disobedience, to use the God-given freedom that they had. He, he's, he gives freedom. Freedom to choose him. But for them to use the freedom to turn away from him, thinking that by doing that, they get something more than what he's already given. Their exercise of a choice to be free on their own path actually led to the very thing that took their freedom away. And this is the stupidity of sin. It's the stupidity of Barrett. 
It's the stupidity of our culture. Listen, our culture screams at us, right? Go your own way. Do your own thing. Whatever choice you want to make, it's all about you attaining to self-actualization. You know, Maslow's hierarchy. Look at the very top. Oh, it's so beautiful. You get to do anything you want to do. Total independence. But the craziness is that the people who live like that without regard to their natural environment are like the fish who think, I'll be more free out of the water. Keep me in the water? No! Don't tell me I belong in the water! I want to get out of the water. I want to be free like the little mermaid, you know? But the reality is fish are made for water. It's loving to, t- to keep a fish in the water. It's how fish was made. And in the culture of our day and the stupidity of our choices of sin, what ends up happening is we take the freedom that we've been afforded, the happiness that is available for us in God, and we turn away from God. And we use, the freedom, we use our freedom to turn away from God and to turn toward choices of our own making and disobedience to what he has designed for us and wants for us. And in doing so, in thinking that we're pursuing our own freedom, what happens is we actually lose the very freedom that we desire. Because we end up in, in bondage. Because that's not where we belong. If you look at Jesus' words here, he says, he sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. This word is the equivalent of like being a slave. Being someone who is locked up like those who are in 201 Poplar right now in our prison. Someone who's been sold into slavery. Someone who is, has lost their freedom, completely captive. And what we know is 1 John 2 describes the captivity that we have. That we end up with threefold captivity to the world, to the flesh, and to the devil. What happens is when we turn away from God, we don't get more freedom, friends. We get bondage. And we all know this from our own experience, and don't pretend like you don't know it. You know it. And see, the, the, again, the foolishness of sin says, at any time you can just walk away from it. But friends, when you get involved in sin, when you get in, ensnared in the world, when you get trapped up in what the enemies want you to do, when you hear the voice of God and you turn away from it, friends, don't just think it's just so easy to go back. You, you end up in bondage. That's what the Bible tells you. Your heart becomes ensnared, it becomes trapped, and you lose freedom. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 22. Write that verse down and go look at it later. It says this, He will be held with the cords of his sin. He will be held with the cords of his sin. In other words, you will become a slave to the sin that you choose. 
You become a slave to the thing that masters you. Sin is like a boa constrictor. And the more you give yourself to it, the more it begins to squeeze the life out of you. It's just the reality. And almost every person, well, not every, not almost every person, it is every person that has ever lived and chosen sin has experienced this kind of captivity. Again, it could be physical, it could be emotional, it could be mental, and it is definitely spiritual. Some of us are even unaware of it. But if you look around at the world today, and I am not uh, going to land on this because I've got good news for you, but you've got to see the reality. Sometimes if you, don't, if you don't recognize your condition apart from Christ, you will never be able to fully appreciate or give yourself to Christ. We have to see ourselves plainly as God sees us. And he sees us in captivity, and some of us don't even know it. There are people who know it, who know they're addicted, who know that in every sorrow they've got to have a a glass of alcohol. Or in every moment of escape, they're running to pornography, or they're running to drugs, or they're running to a sexually illicit relationship. There are people who are, are very aware that they are addicted Some of us are addicted and we may not be aware of it so subtly. Secret sins, bad mindsets, greediness, lust, pride. Um, Some people, other people's opinion is a master. Just what everybody else thinks of us controls us. For some of us, it's food or it's entertainment or it's social media. How many likes can I get today? If I could just keep my public reputation up, right? Some of us, it's just living in high-risk behavior or it's compulsive spending. I mean, I could go on and on, but sin leads us to captivity. And we shouldn't think that we can just freely choose out of it because the more you engage in it, the more it begins to control you. Sin becomes a master. And like Proverbs 5.22 says, we are held in the cords of our sin. It's a debt that we can't repay. It's a strength that we can't break from. One of the most accurate views of a sinner is a prisoner. And the Bible talks about how we're prisoners in uh, several ways. Um, Ephesians chapter 2 describes that we are, well, I'll just read it to you. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of power of the air, the spirit that is now at work. And the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Then in our sin, we get turned over to the power of he who hates God and opposes him at every turn. Following after the way of the prince of power of the air, Satan himself. Hebrews chapter 2 which we studied in the fall.
excuse me, chapter 4. <laughs> we know that Satan holds power over us because he has the power of death, that we live in lifelong fear of death. And that yields power over our present day life. In other words, sin, when you choose disobedience to God, something happens in your heart. What is it? Guilt, right? And guilt ends up controlling you. The consequences of sin, we know, are death. We know that there's a God and our life is due to him. And we know when we've turned away from God, don't we? And I know something that happens to you and it happens to me when we sin is when we sin against God and we turn away from him, we feel guilty. And we know that we're deserving of consequence and ultimately that consequence is death. And many of us, most of us, all of us, are held in captivity because of the lifelong fear of death. (laughs) That's captivity. It's a form of, of slavery. Constantly oppressed, struggling in your conscience. John chapter 8. You can write these references down and look at them later. John chapter 8. In verse 31, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. (laughs) But the answer to him, uh, we're the offspring of Abraham, and, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you're going to become free? In other words, they didn't feel their captivity in any tangible way. But Jesus responds and he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. I'm telling you the truth, Jesus said. You commit sin and you become captive to sin. You're a prisoner to it. And there is nothing in you that is able to break the bondage that is created when you've chosen to walk away from God in your sin. And Romans 1 and 2 talks about, too, the bondage is to that condemnation that is rightly deserved. For God is a holy and just God, and he must deal with sin. Sin is deserving of consequence, and that consequence is death, eternal death. Those who sin are in bondage to sin. And friends, that's what Jesus speaks to. You're feeling the weight of it, right? That's the context by which he comes and Luke 4. He says, I'm coming and I'm talking to the captives. 
I'm coming to tell those who are in bondage something. The Spirit of God has has sent me for those who are locked up in prison by their own choosing or maybe by the actions of others. I'm coming. Do you know that there is nothing that you can do to set yourself free? (laughs) There's nothing you can do. Absolutely no way to set yourself. Nothing in you can deliver yourself from bondage. It's like having a debt that you can never, ever repay. But he comes, and what does he say in Luke chapter 4? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And to what? Y'all got to get involved now. Good news to the poor and to, he sent me to, to proclaim what? Freedom! Freedom to the captives. Friends, this is better than what happened to those who were in the concentration camps awaiting for the day that they might be released from the bondage of the horrors of what they experienced. This is better. This is our God coming in as a victor, as a kinsman redeemer, saying that he has the keys to unlock the prison doors. He's got what it takes to conquer the one who has kept us captive, even ourself and our sin. He has come, Jesus says, I have come. To proclaim freedom. Freedom for all who understand and recognize and are willing to confess that they are held captive with no possibility of release except to trust in me. (laughs) This is good news, right? It's really, 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 really good news. The word freedom means to be capable of movement. It stands in direct opposition to slavery and to bondage. It means he's going to open the prison door. He's going to release all the captives. He's, he's saying, I am here to proclaim freedom in every corner of your life. In every corner of your mind, of your heart of your body, of your soul. I am here to speak freedom into every ounce of you. I am the Messiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And one of the things he has called me and empowered me and anointed me to do is to bring freedom to you in your captivity. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Out of everyone living in the oppression of Egypt, he promises a promised land for those who trust in Christ. And we see it. We see it throughout his ministry, don't we? I mean, I love that Jesus, um, oh man. Do y'all read the Bible? 
I, I really encourage you to read the Bible. If you don't read the Bible on a daily basis, just start. It's awesome. It's so good. Start with the Gospels. When's the last time you read a Gospel? Just read one. Take a chapter a day. Just read it. Get to know Jesus more. He's, he's the best. You, you look at, at Jesus. I'm thinking now Mark 5, Luke 8. Um, many more examples, but these guys, he goes into these towns and he encounters these people who are, we look at it and we go, oh, that's weird. That's a little weird. Demon possessed. Ooh, I just said that. We don't have a place for that um, in Memphis, do we? I mean, some people might believe in it, but it's real. People can be possessed by the enemy and in the day of Jesus, he encountered people. He would go into these towns and he would encounter people who were just completely distressed, bound up and changed. Just, everybody knew them, but they, they were known as people who were just, ooh, stay away from them. They're kind of weird. He lives in caves with pigs, man. Like, that's weird, you know? Like, just leave him alone. He, he's, a, he's, totally, he's totally bound up by, by Satan and by sin. And, ooh, that's, that's weird. And he goes into these, these towns. Like I'm just looking here at Luke 8. And Jesus looks at him and just says, get out. And the people are freaked out. Like, who does this? I mean, Jesus looks at the, the, the man and speaks to something inside the man. That's kind of... That's kind of weird in and of itself. He's, he's speaking not to the man, but the one who's controlling the man. Get out! And suddenly the man is completely free. The one who's been held in lifelong bondage is completely free. This is Jesus. Who has the power to free you and to free me from captivity. If he can free the one who's completely consumed by demons, friends, he can free us. Do you agree? He can free us. (laughs) Jesus uh, frees us from Satan himself. Mark chapter three, um, people are, calling Jesus all kinds of things. And one of the, the worst things that he called, that people try to call him is they assign him to the house of Satan. And Jesus teaches us in Mark chapter three, he goes, uh, how could Satan cast out Satan? I mean, I've just cast out Satan here. And that's kind of stupid that you say I'm from Satan because if I was from Satan and I cast out Satan, doesn't that look like a kingdom divided against itself? I'm paraphrasing. That was the message version. But... Um, Verse 27, Jesus says, but listen, no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, I've come as the strong man to bind up the one who's holding you captive. Jesus is saying, I have come with more power than Satan. 
I'm not with Satan, I'm against him, and I'm actually here to bind him up. And what we know is in Revelation chapter 20, friends, in verses 1 to 3, at the end of time, Jesus will once and for all bind up Satan who's compared to a dragon there in those verses and throw him eternally into the pit of fire. Jesus is the Messiah. He can deliver us from the work of demons. He can deliver us from the work of the enemy himself. He can deliver us, friends, most importantly, from sin. At its core, when Jesus uses the word here in Luke chapter 4, I have come to proclaim liberty to the captives. That word liberty literally means to release. It literally means a release. It means, here it is, forgiveness. I've come to proclaim release to the captives, forgiveness to those who are captive. One of the most helpful understandings of sin that you can understand in the scripture is that sin is debt. And we know debt ensnares, holds us captive. It's like bondage, slavery. Jesus comes to proclaim release, forgiveness. He's saying, I have come to forgive your sin. The way a prisoner is freed is when his crime is forgiven. Would you agree? You've committed crimes against a holy God. Now, some of us get used to committing crimes here in Memphis and not getting caught for it. Anybody speed down North Parkway today? Just saying. Now, in a holy and just system, every time you commit a crime, plain letter of the law, it's pretty big numbers there on those signs, isn't it? Why do you do that? Why do you break the law? Now, I'm not trying to get into a whole speeding argument because I'm guilty myself. I got pulled over right in front of the church one time. It was the most embarrassing day of my life. I had three church people in the car with me coming back from a church fellowship. I got pulled over in front of the church, and I was like, this is awesome. Um, I am great. Not um, Very humbling moment. Not trying to make a lesson of speeding. What I'm saying, though, is do we recognize that God's law is holy? Do we recognize that it's perfect? Do we recognize that when you break his law, when you step outside of the water, the environment that he's created for for you, living inside of his will, when you step outside of that, you are breaking his law. You're committing a crime. And crimes are punishable by the offense. And we need to focus, we need to remember What our sin does is it holds us captive. It makes us guilty of a crime, and that crime has a punishment, and the punishment is death, separation from God. And that's how Satan uses our sin against us in so many ways to hold us captive is he reminds us again and again and again that you're a filthy, rotten sinner. You're guilty. God will never love you. He'll never accept you. He'll never forgive you. He'll never welcome you back. 
You're too rotten. You're too bad. So just keep sinning. You've already gone this far. Go a little further. You're never going to find the enjoyment of God. You've already broken his law. You've already been pushed out of the garden. So just make the most of life in your sin. Keep going. Forget it with God. You'll never be as happy with God as you will be with X, Y, or Z. That's Satan's work, holding us in captivity because of our own choice of sin, using the guilt against us, using the the awareness of condemnation and the shame and the punishment, the fear of death against us all day long. Y'all see that, right? That's That's the reality, the spiritual state of our heart in captivity worthy of the condemnation because we've committed a crime. But friends, (laughs) the way a prisoner is forgiven, it's either being proven innocent, which friends, we will not be proven innocent. We are guilty. Or having your crime forgiven. But in order to have your crime forgiven, there's got to be satisfaction with the law. There's got to be an atonement made. And friends, Jesus comes onto the scene and says, friends, I'm here to tell you the spirit of the Lord is upon me. If you hear my voice and you know you're captive, you can know today that the spirit has anointed me. He has sent me for this purpose to proclaim freedom. In other words, forgiveness. For all of your sin. There is nothing that you have ever done in your past, in your present, that could keep you from experiencing the radical forgiveness of our God. For those who trust in Jesus, for those who give their whole life to Jesus, you can know. God doesn't hold your sin against you anymore. He offers freedom from the captivity, release from the prison, forgiveness of your sins. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. As Charles Wesley once said, he breaks the power of canceled sin. Forgiveness sets the prisoner free. And I will tell you, um, we call this series Beautiful Exchange. (laughs) You want to know why we call it Beautiful Exchange? Friends, I'm proclaiming this morning the best news in the world for you, right? That in your sin, there's forgiveness, that in your captivity, there's freedom that's possible. And it's all because of Jesus. That is beautiful. Would you agree? But you want to know, you want to know how that came to you, how that is even possible for you to have? Today, it's Palm Sunday. All the folks really happy, you know? Hosanna! It's happy. It is happy. It's amazing. But let's not forget what Jesus has his face set toward as he hears those cries of joy. 
for to obtain our freedom. See? To obtain our freedom. He's going to trade in his freedom. To obtain our release from prison, he's going to be bound up. He's going to be treated for a crime. Punished for a crime when he had committed no crime. Locked up like a prisoner. Carrying his own instrument of execution. Moving toward his death. Death that we should fear because it's our stupidity that has led us to the place of sin and captivity and the consequence of death. Jesus didn't deserve death. He's never disobeyed God. He's moving bound up, ridiculed, moving toward his death, trading in his freedom. I'm going to breathe his last breath. This is how he can stand and say in the synagogue, the Spirit of God is upon me. You're looking at him today. He's fulfilling your hearing. I'm here to proclaim freedom for the captives. I'm going to be taken captive in order that you might be set free. Beautiful exchange. Amen. Beautiful exchange. He's going to take on our sin. Literally. He trades. He takes your sin and he bears the full weight of it. He takes your penalty, the penalty you deserve upon himself. And he bears the wrath of God until he says it is finished. But as he's doing it, he says, Father, forgive them. Release them. I am here, a prisoner paying the debt, taking the consequence, going to my death. So, Father, may you allow for a beautiful exchange. Release them. Free them, Father. Every ounce of their minds, their emotions, their soul, their bodies, I give you my life so that they might have a restoration of life. Life as it was meant to be lived in the very happiness of God. Amen? How beautiful. That's why in John chapter 8, as soon as he says, those who sin are slaves to sin. He says in verse 35, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So, listen to this. Hang your hat on this. So, If the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. If the Son sets you free, 
you are free indeed. I'm telling you today, I know that we struggle in sin. I know some of you, you may have never experienced salvation. Others have, and you're still struggling in sin. Let me tell you what we need, what we need. And this is why the news is so good in Luke chapter 4. We don't need behavior modification. We don't need greater attempts of self-esteem, more attempts to try to free ourselves and get out of the sin. We need the Holy Spirit's power. We need the work of Jesus to come and free us. We are in captivity. We need freedom. Our hearts yearn for it, but I'm here to tell you, there's only one way of freedom, but there is a way of freedom, and his name is Jesus Christ. What a great week to celebrate. As we move to close this morning, I just just want to ask you to take some time to stop and just say thank you to Jesus. Just say thank you to Jesus. There are There are some precious truths of the gospel that no matter how many times you've heard them, they just, they're full of glory, beauty, magnificence, wonder. I don't know when the last time was for us who are followers of Jesus was that you just stopped to say, thank you, Jesus. For I know if I was left on my own, that I'd just be moaning and groaning suffering under the weight of my own choices, my own imprisonment, my own captivity, suffering under the the weight of the enemy's schemes, the world, my flesh, the devil. I know that's where I would be. I don't know when the last time you stopped just to admit that to Jesus and to say, Jesus, thank you for, as you stood up in the synagogue that day, (laughs) you're talking to me. You're talking to me, Jesus. And I can't believe it. I can't believe that you've come for me, Jesus. I thank you. I worship you. I adore you. I praise you. There's no words that can fully express my heart, sentiment, and love for you. For I know that I'm behind bars and I'm, I'm dead if it, did, if it weren't for you. So when you, when you say you've come to proclaim liberty, Jesus, you're talking to me. And I just thank you. I thank you that if the sun sets me free, that I'm free indeed. Lord, I know that it's only by your love and your grace that this freedom is possible. Jesus, I know this is why you came, for the beautiful exchange. As I look at you, Jesus, and you go into the cross, getting bound up getting punished in charge of the crime and punished for it and taking on the wrath of God the darkness that hovered over the cross that night Lord as I look at you Jesus I see my captivity that is my captivity I deserve that Jesus you don't deserve that you don't deserve that Jesus I deserve that but Jesus thank you Thank you that you take my place. Thank you for the beautiful exchange. 
thank you that from the cross as you're taken captive, you proclaim forgiveness. So Lord, I just trust you. I just thank you. I put all my heart in your hands. There's nothing I can do to repay you. All I can do is give you my heart and just say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you proclaim release, forgiveness forevermore. Help me, Jesus. Help me to live in light of the freedom that you've provided. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Let us not return again to the yoke of slavery. Lord, I pray that you would help me live in light of the freedom that you've provided. Help me to live in light of your righteousness and forgiveness and newness of life every day. And to fight, not with my own power, but with the power of your Holy Spirit, the spirit of release as I fight against sin. Thank you, Jesus. If there's anyone here that needs to make a decision for Christ for the first time, you want prayer, there's prayer counselors will be in the back. I'll be here, pray with you. If you want to make a decision, join our church, anything like that. This is the time for you to respond to God and just relish in the enjoyment of his grace. Not anything that you've done, but all what he has done for you. Just